Hello, I am C-3PO, and I believe the storyteller is ready, so let us begin. What game is this? No game. Kill me. Or take me in. This week the story is about the halfway point of Andor the series, because we've come to the end of 12 episodes and season one. And what's turned out to be a, a pretty critical darling for Star Wars in kind of a novel, new sort of way. Indeed, it was a lot darker than anything they've produced in recent years. And it's left off with a finale uh, that has a lot of unanswered questions, sort of a cliffhanger even. Ross, how do you characterize your excitement for season two, having watched this season finale? Uh, it's climbing. It, okay. It's continuously going up. And <laughs> uh, as the show went, it continued to rise. And I think it left it off at a really good spot. Uh, I didn't find this episode to be like some people think this is the best episode of the season. I don't think that at all. Uh, I think it was a really good finale, though. Uh, and I think it puts the show in a really good spot. I think this episode really cemented uh, and I and I felt this way pretty consistently throughout. Uh, it didn't I wasn't really ever worried after the show got underway. Um, but I do. I was very pleased with the themes in this final episode. And I think it really cemented that they did not go the cynical route that I was worried they might. Uh, this sh show is very consistent with the 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 theme of hope that rings through in Rogue One, and that's consistent here. Uh, and the way it's done is really nicely consistent with the rest of Star Wars. It's just done in a little bit of a different way, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, I would say that their um, marriage to the concept of hope is the most successful thing about this show because... Um, Another thing they've done, which I think was necessary, we've talked about it before, is create a Star Wars story that doesn't rely on Skywalkers. And obviously that had to happen, whether or not I have criticisms of the show otherwise, it's kind of irrelevant. They've made a show that's about finding hope where it seems there is none, and they haven't had to involve even really the Force, although in some fashion it's going to enter the storyline, even if just tangentially. Certainly they don't need to bring in uh, any Skywalker characters. Now, we talked last week about how we thought there might be some kind of like Easter egg cameo or some kind of exciting arrival a la the Vader march in Rogue One. And in fact, there there wasn't one. Was that surprising to you? I was not surprised. No, I think pretty quick into the episode, it seemed like they had picked their path and um, they set the table. Uh, like that's what last episode was. And uh, it just continued everything that they had set up. Uh, there was nothing new that was introduced in this episode. Uh, Mon Mothma's story was it was a little interesting. Uh, that was one that was it was brief, but it said a lot in the little amount that we got. And uh, I wasn't necessarily shocked. I, I think next season is shaping up to be no matter what, it's going to have a lot more uh, familiarity. And there's probably going to be more cameos and more familiar characters uh, just because it's going to lead right up to Rogue One. So it kind of has to, to a certain degree. Um, but yeah, no, I think I was just overall in, in general surprised the season had so few uh, returning characters. Something I thought was kind of cool about the way it resolved and, and maybe sets up for a little bit more fellowship in season two um, is that Cassian, though he doesn't go with them, he does get together an ensemble. He gets his friends on the ship and says, you get her to Dodge. I'll meet up with you later. And so I like to think, because Star Wars is at its best when you have a team of people who dysfunctionally care about each other and work together towards a common good. Like, it, Andor has kind of like dipped in and out of these different cultures throughout this season. And at times it was cool and at times it was alienating. I'd like to see him more among uh, trustworthy companions in season two. Namely Bix, because this is a person he deeply cares about and has like a lot of his character arc has been motivated by like looking out for Bix in season one. It's about time they spend some time together. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. The Star Wars, I find, struggles with that a little bit, though, in terms of 
establishing characters that have strong relationships, but they don't give us much screen time of them together. Yeah. Uh, the sequel trilogy struggled mightily with that. Uh, and we get a couple moments of, of Kylo and, and Han, but almost no, like just a couple force ish sort of vibe feels between Leia and Kylo. And that's it between the two of them. But they're supposed to have this big, impactful, meaningful relationship. And like, there's none of our big three on screen. Uh, and you get a lot of that even in the prequels and at, at parts when you rewatch the kind of the original trilogy, as much as we're tied to them, there's even points in which they're separated longer than we sometimes even remember. Yeah. Um, but overall, I think Bix is going to have probably a similar sized role in the next season will probably die but we'll probably have a really good arc i really love brasso and yeah. so i'm excited to see uh all uh, those storylines can cont- the continue uh bix held up pretty well under imperial interrogation so she's got some the the makings of a, of a solid rebel to say the least doesn't brasso look like a brasso that guy's a big yes, dude he does <laughs> he is great he yeah. is the bruiser the brawler uh, he uses Marva's grave brick as a, a blunt instrument to beat <laughs> people up. I mean, I, I love this guy. He is he's one of my favorites. Uh, and his relationship with B, B2 is really great. And uh, he just looks out for Cassian like uh, like an older brother uh, in, a, in a really nice way to give uh, to, to give more credit to the, the found family vibes of Star Wars, because that's what Cassian has here. And I mean, he does have a real family but who will be interesting to see uh, about his sister see if that comes back in season two so you mentioned uh um mon mothma and her storyline was it's actually kind of it, it was kind of disappointing for me in this episode because like this is a character i really cared about and they kind of benched her in this episode she's here um and i guess they resolved something for her but there was nothing terribly climactic about her uh storyline in this episode except i guess we're going through with this arranged marriage thing it was a couple things that were a little confusing about this. Yes, it, it seems like not necessarily arranged marriage, but an arranged introduction, to say the least. And and we're giving ourselves over to those customs that she's not such a fan of. Yeah, well, it's basically she's setting her daughter up to have a, a very likely unhappy future uh, for the sake of the galaxy, which is the right decision to make, but not the right decision to make sort of thing. Mon Mothma doesn't want, Mon Mothma rightfully wants to have her cake and eat it too, in the sense of, I believe I don't have to sell my soul to the devil to Mm -hmm. save the galaxy the way Luthen believes. I need to sell my soul to the devil to save the galaxy. Uh, And Mon Mothma is right. You uh, save the galaxy by saving what you love, not um, fighting what you hate. And Mm -hmm. you look at Sinta, Sinta's a great example of, fighting what she hates and Vel trying to save what she loves sort of thing. And so yeah. there's, there are really quite a kind of interesting relationship there uh, in showing kind of that duality as well. But Mon Mothma, uh, it was weird to not see her decision-making around uh, agreeing to do this. We kind of got it set up that Lita would be interested, but Mon, she was supposed to be super against this and they don't really show the discussion. It just kind of leads to it. And also She's got this whole other strategy, and I don't know, maybe this was something that um, Davos Gulden's helping her with, and that's the reason, like, the gambling thing. Mm. I don't know if that was Davos' idea, or she came up with that on her own, because then she wouldn't have needed Davos in the bloody first place, is that she's making it look like Perrin's been blowing all their money. And so it just, it, it seemed like she didn't even need to do that. Or that was what Davo has been setting up and that he's going to like start hanging around with Perrin so that the Empire thinks, oh, like Perrin, this guy is like super shady because we, we do get to see that after that they report and say, this Perrin guy is pretty shady. We can leverage him. Um, and it looks like Mon is trying to get that to happen. Well, and we've talked a lot of, or at least a little bit about what the fate could be for Lita. And maybe it was just too easy to say, well, she's going to die and that's going to motivate Mon Mothma to be this like kind of solitary unit that like does what she has to do in the Rebel Alliance. Maybe her her daughter doesn't have to die. Maybe it's more complicated than that. Like maybe she loses her to the Empire. She's losing her Mm -hmm. ideologically in this sense. And so as things get uh, better, they have to get worse. And I I think that's actually more likely. And that's probably what this storyline portends. Yeah, at this point, I think that's more likely than than death. 
uh, a kind of a fate worse than death in right. that regard, but not actually. Uh, or, or, or maybe there's some pretty shady characters. <laughs> Do you agree that Perrin uh, looks like and just has like a similar energy to Daniel Faraday and Lost? A little bit. He's got a much more similar energy to um, uh, an actor. I can't remember his name, but he was in uh, Suits and Burn Notice. And uh, so I see that first. Okay. Uh, but he definitely looks like he's uh, Faraday's cooler brother. He's not cool, though. He's less cool no, than but Faraday, Faraday's in my opinion. super not cool. <laughs> Faraday's kind of cool in his own way. Anyway, that's that's a whole other podcast, I guess. Um, okay, let's go back to Ferrix because that's really where the the bulk of this episode takes place. Like basically, everybody other than Mon Mothma has met on Ferrix. Um, in Ferrix, on Ferrix, is it a planet or a city? Uh, I think it's a planet. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I, it must be like a. Well, Star Wars does that a lot, where a a, a town is kind of also. The planet as right, well. Right, exactly. Uh, you mentioned um, Brasso using the the gravestone as like a, a blunt trauma instrument, which is really cool. I've been just like a side note, just to take us into another franchise yet again. Um, I have been consuming like all the Lord of the Rings stuff. And so I've just watched a lot of melee brawling in, in cinema lately. And so this kind of reminded me of that. Um, I flinched through all of it because there's like so many like knives getting shivved and, and like skulls getting cracked basically and star wars is obviously not removed from violence but like a brawl in this sense that goes on for so long and isn't just like blaster shots but is in a sense a lot more brutal not that common mm. for for uh for star wars yeah it was the the grittiest in the sense of it was the it was, it was sorry it was the messiest fight maybe in star wars because yeah uh, and, and it does it does further uh, cement uh, who said the I guess it was part of Nemec's manifesto when he's talking about um, that oppression is just masking fear and the fact that like it's the key 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 sacks is that his name and um, the blonde super Nazi looking guy who wanted who like hung packs and um, in the end says like open fire when like uh, a few of the rebels start or a few of the ferric citizens start yeah. pushing up against the 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 riot shields and he just kind of loses his shit um i don't remember what i was saying but yeah. well this guy willman who we see at the beginning building a bomb and then later he throws the bomb which i mean to me that was the best set piece of the episode is when like all of the explosion is happening who is this dude mm. like am i supposed to recognize him from earlier in the series and that that's pack's son Okay. So the guy who I was just mentioning, Keysax, who was like, can we hang him in the on Rick's road so yeah. everybody can see when he asks Dedra that a few episodes ago? He was the guy that Bix let um, go up in the tower to communicate with Luthen. Mm. And so he he was tortured first okay. to get Bix, and then Bix was tortured for further information. And so he was made as an example. And so his son uh, built a bomb to kind of try and, uh, you know, stick one to the empire i also think um that the first part of the series didn't do a great job for me anyway properly conveying who marva is like i know last week's episode she's is established like as a daughter of ferrix and it becomes very clear that it's like quite a loss to the community that she has died and then here as she gives this like uh posthumous transmission where she's like preaching the significance of hope and like and all of um her pride in the community it's very clear that she has that she has this elder status and this like mm. this broad respect among ferrix but to me for the first good chunk of this series she just was an old lady who like kind of lived in quiet and so i kind of feel alienated by that like suddenly she's literally two stories tall and everybody is like looking up at her adoringly i just find that kind of like strange and not the character i thought she was that's completely fair and i agree they don't set it up that way i think what they were going for more and yes the daughter of ferrix gives an extra added oomph to it that she would be extremely well known but they do try to emphasize in this first few episodes how tight-knit the community is and so I think that's more so what they're trying to go on is the fact that it's such a tight knit community and that they all come out for like a big event like that. And everybody knows everybody. 
Um, and then, so the fact that they later bring out the fact that she's also like a daughter of Ferrick, so she's got an additional elder status, it just makes kind of a little bit more sense as to why so many people showed up. But yeah, you're right. They don't really show that in the first few episodes because uh, the character's under-established uh, yeah. until, until the, I guess, kind of this point. And now we, we know the entirety of, of her story and it now makes sense and we got enough of it uh but it felt like we didn't up until this point also uh this is a good b episode and and in, i think maybe like i felt most protective of any character in the show when he's uh broadcasting marva and then he gets kicked over that's like the only time i've had a really emotional response to this entire series i was like no no <laughs> don't kick yeah. that droid <laughs> fuck you yeah no, don't you dare that's not okay because this is this is one of the most emotional droids we've ever had and that's saying something yeah he's got emo in his name <laughs> wait a second is that like a thing is like emo mean emotional uh, i mean i know no, it, i know it means that probably. in like punk music but like is i wonder if that's the thought because it's not he's not the first star wars droid to convey like anxiety or despair but it's really prominent here yeah, like he he's a he's a salvage droid of some kind, so that's not his purpose. But it does feel like e like emo is intentional by at least the writers. Right. Okay. Um, also, pretty good uh, serial exposure. Actually, yeah. Not, not this a, was an interesting little weird arc. Well, it was, and it was kind of not the best Dedra episode. She's been on this steady climb and then she really gets the rug pulled out from under her in this episode and she just like kind of gets knocked around, almost gets killed. Cyril, Cyril rescues her and it switches from being a stalker storyline to having all this heat. And yeah, first of all, I think that's fine uh, because there's obviously something like interesting chemistry between these two actors and these two characters. And it also occurred to me, correct me if I'm wrong, never been a love story between uh villains in star wars no i don't think so um or at least not in canon uh i'm sure there were like sith and all the extended legend stories but no i i can't think of any uh sly Moore, uh in theory was palpatine's uh side piece um other than that though she was she's a she's a, a q level not even like a b c d e f she's a she's like a a serious rung low uh character whereas at least cyril and dedra have had a fair amount of screen time so i would be interested in seeing kind of their relationship develop uh and how that'll work uh, as he's probably brought into the imperial fold further uh, mm -hmm. and whether they will um, continue down a semi-romantic path or whether that will deviate and it will just become a bit more of a professional relationship whether they'll uh, dance that line it'll be interesting I kind of hope they at least keep it somewhat um, I, I think it would be an interesting romantic storyline to do for at least a good part of the season I could see them having a fling it'd be so interesting to like ship two characters who you otherwise think are despicable but they're equally despicable and so like I guess that's okay. I could see um, them having a fling and then something happens where, because she's not exactly so high ranking herself, suddenly Cyril outranks her and there's like a, a dynamic shift between the two of them. And I don't know, she ends up having to kill him even though she loves him or something. Like there could be something like really uh, like power struggle-y between the two of them. I could definitely see that. Uh, I don't know if he'd necessarily be able to rise that quick but I do think that he could either see her for being more extreme than he ever thought in a certain way that he's obsessed with order, but we don't necessarily know of him as being like a Nazi, whereas right. she's a Nazi. Yeah. And maybe he gets a little up close and he's like, oh, shit, you're a fucking Nazi. Yeah. I just I'm like, I like rules a little too much. And my parents put on Fox News all the time. And so. <laughs> You know, I just became this way. But well, holy yeah. crap, is you're it, scary. Is it too like, late maybe for... Maybe up close and personal. Is it too late for him to realize that the Empire is not what he thought it was? And like he completely goes the other way? It, I don't think his story has any recovery. Yeah. His story could be incredibly tragic and pathetic yeah. where he krennics at the end and is basically 
lowest ranking Krennic. Like Krennic was at least he 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 flew close to the sun before he got completely stomped on by the Empire mm. um and showing that they didn't give a shit about him. Whereas Cyril barely can get off the ground potentially and, and crash and, and explode when he realizes the Empire doesn't actually uh have his best intentions in mind. But that storyline's really wide open and I and he's the one that's gonna be he's kind of the more loose cannon as to what's gonna happen next. Dedra is just gonna continue to grab for more. Uh, and she will she seems to care less about Cyril than he does about her but at the same time she also is just on a on a mission so her path is is a little bit more obvious yeah I don't know I I think she saw him differently in this episode I think there was like clearly a shift for sure but at the same time I think she would still kill him like you mentioned before if it meant um advancing yes no question uh, so we didn't see Cass at all for like at least 10 minutes into this episode. He kind of is just like lurking in the shadows through most of the street battle until he's able to get to Bix. He sort of protects her while the explosions are happening and then he gets her uh, onto the ship sort of to to safety. And then we don't know where he goes until the final frames of the episode when we see um, Luthen, who's also by himself and lurking in the shadows through most of the episode. He kind of hands himself over to Luthen. And I'm wondering if you can explain to me why Luthen, who used to sort of be like on Cassian's side, if he's on anyone's side, is now hunting for Cassian the way everyone else is. Is it just a bounty thing? Um, And why would he want to kill Cassian in this moment, as is suggested? Well, everybody's trying to kill Cassian because Luthen said to. Like yeah. that's the reason why Vel and Cinta are there is because Luthen sick them, and Luthen's just coming in to investigate and see if he can help put the nail in the coffin on Cassian. Uh, he wants him dead because he knows too much, yeah. and uh, he knows that he doesn't care. So he knows that he he feels that he can be bought, mm-hmm. whereas this entire experience shows him otherwise. So when he shows up. Luthen at this point now has no reason to think otherwise because he basically he's handing him over to be okay you used me as a tool once when I didn't care now I care imagine what I could do for you now sort yeah. of and e- either that or I can at least say I died for the cause if you killed me so no matter what Luthen feels okay that he did a great sell job for me. I don't need to kill him anymore so I can call off the dogs. Well, and and uh, Luthen basically, he, he's suspicious of how easy this is in the end. He's like, what's your game? Mm. Cassian says, no game. And then he gives him two options. And I, I don't remember what the other option was. Either kill me or, and this is how the episode ended. I, I can't remember exactly, but it, I think it was like bring me in or take me in or like yeah it, it, it was it very much hearkened um i want to come in from the cold uh like a, a classic old espionage sort of character right and the spy this is the spy coming in from the cold and uh cassian is is, is fully reveling up uh and we are going to jump one year from this point uh tony goroy said so there's a full year gap uh we won't pick up right on this conversation but i guess that means that he's going to be Luthen's one of Luthen's right hand people uh maybe he'll continue to work with Vel maybe he'll work with Vel and Cinta when we return back and uh the people who were hunting him all of them are now his his closest allies uh but it'll be interesting because he's also going to get really really into this to the point where he kills uh one of his allies in the opening moments of Rogue One and so he's gonna become Maybe a little bit more like Cinta operating within kind of Mon Mothma's regime. There was Draven. Draven's going to be in season two. I think that's almost guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the one who uh, gets who assigns Cassian the side project of killing Galen or so. Mm-hmm. And um, Cassian almost goes through with it. And Draven knows to assign that to Cassian as if Cass- so Cassian's going to do a lot of dirty things. And potentially it gets to the point where Cassian is almost seen as the new Luthen. Yeah. And that's the reason as to why he's given these opportunities and given these incredibly harsh tasks because Luthen may die near the end of season two. And he will he for just sure. assumes the, yeah, well, yeah, definitely. And he will assume the role uh, or maybe at the start of season two and totally throw us for a loop. Um, 
And uh, he will just assume that role alongside Mon Mothma as the loose cannon they can tolerate, whereas Saw is the loose cannon they can't tolerate. Well, when Cassian shows up to Luthen at the end of this episode, you must have had the same thought as me, which is, oh, Luthen might bite it here because we know Cassian's not going to. I thought there was a chance. I thought there was a chance they could uh, Carl Weathers Mando it. Um, yeah. Greek cargo when he, when he gets shot, but it's like in the best car or something along those lines, um, just in, in kind of the briefest moment. Uh, overall, I didn't feel too worried about him. Though. I didn't think Cassian was going to be the one to take him out. I didn't think, I thought there was a chance he could die in this episode, but I felt pretty good about him surviving at that point. I felt like it was, it just seemed like, Okay, this is how Cassian's gonna gonna join up. Uh, it seemed a little anticlimactic uh, to me, actually, uh, but it also like Luthen has that smirk, and it's kind of meant to give you that smirk as the audience as well. And then you get the big kind of like ah oh, moment with the post credit scene, so they can kind of get away with it. I guess the only other people to talk about are are Vel and Cinta, and and Vel kind of was quiet this episode. Cinta sort of more in the spotlight, like it seemed to matter when she shivs that guy in the stomach. Like it, you had mm. predicted before that she's likely to go further down the the slope of extremism, and it seems like that's quickly happening. I think it's less likely to be the case with Vel. I was off put by Vel when she was introduced into the show, and she's starting to seem like a much more uh, well-rounded character than most of the people in the series to me. Completely agree. I think Vel's a great character. And in the first episode, I was like, yeah, this character is a little annoying. Just in general, it seems like is angry, so angry for reasons we don't know. But ultimately, it makes complete sense now and figured it would. Uh, the show is just a, a box that took a while to open. But Vel is really interesting. And she's just kind of she's a little annoyed at Cinta. Like, you, you, you didn't come meet me. And Cinta's like, well, there was an opportunity to tail someone. Why the fuck are you complaining <laughs> that I didn't meet you at the airport when right. I had the chance to kill an Imperial? Mm -hmm. And Vel, and so it just it goes to show, yeah, just like kind of further cementing the way that they're on different paths. And even like there, they there's a great book. It's uh, Lost Stars. It's a little sappy in the Star Wars world, but it's about um, two kids from a, a rural planet, and one eventually, or they both join the Empire, um, but one defects at a at a pretty early uh, age and joins the rebellion. But the the two kind of diverge in a similar path. So it's the fox, uh, but and the it's hound. still, but it's a love story in that yeah. regard, um, and. This is going to be kind of a similar sort of approach, but from within the rebellion, you have one person going um, like Vel seems to be strength further away from Luthen uh, and will probably could could be the one to kill Luthen at this point. If we've been introduced, I could see that if we've already been introduced to the person who's who kills Luthen, I'd probably put her her odds at the top. Mm. I don't see any or. Saw Guerrero maybe up there, but I'd, I'd still put Vel ahead of him. It would be disappointing um, if it was Saw at this point. Like this is unless Saw becomes a bigger character. Yeah, which I suppose could happen. Uh, okay, post credit scene, and uh, if our listeners didn't know to look for one, you would be in the same company as me because it, <laughs> I'm grateful for your text you sent me today, and I was at work and I I, I checked out the post credit scene. It's all the way at the end of the credits, and it's not like a whole lot of story exposition, um, but it's the Death Star. It, it's just a uh, close up on some some uh, maintenance droids out in outer space, like screwing and you in recognize some, those, right? some rivets. I don't know. Do I? So those droids, we've never seen them before, but um, we we have seen their body before. And the, the body is what Cassian was building. They were building the droids in the prison. Oh, yeah, so that's oh, what the droids were. Oh, okay, gotcha. They were building the the leg bases. That's what those like. It was upside down. I didn't get when, that. So yeah, so, it's it's a weird one to kind of you have to pause and like look at it and be like, okay, yeah, no, that is exactly what that is. So that's the top secret prison project on Arkina. It's it's building the the things that build the Death Star so that it can yeah. remain, I guess, as top secret as possible. And yeah. as we predicted, Death Stars like pretty far along like the sphere is oh, there yeah. and what they're building right now is the cannon itself and so that was pretty yeah. cool yeah i was surprised how far it was along and that the laser takes another like 
Galen does a pretty damn good job delaying things another five years yeah. before the project is done. Yeah. So that's pretty impressive because uh, it seems like they've got all the pieces kind of lined up. It's coming together really well. Maybe that's actually like maybe we're going to see more of the issues in finishing the Death Star. That would be kind of cool yeah. if we get a little bit like of uh, a B storyline in season two. And maybe that's how Krennic's introduced mm -hmm. is because the Death Star and because that was his his project. Um, but maybe that's kind of how those stories cross over because Dedra um, has some reason to be involved in that project. I mean, like Death Troopers being around, that's kind of signals um, her her rising rank at least. Uh, but it was cool to see the Death Star. It was good Star Wars imagery and uh, it aligns with that kind of opening shot that we see the the slow pan of Andor with that kind of moon shape the, at the intro of every episode. It kind of, the imagery looked pretty similar to that. Uh, it might've even actually been the same shape um, where the, the cavity of where the, the laser is, the right. way everything's aligned. It might've been the same shape as the, the the logo and so something along those lines but the i thought that was kind of a cool way to book it bookend it um but overall it was it was a really good episode it wasn't necessarily as it wasn't as good as uh one way out but it was uh one of the better episodes and uh i was I'm, I'm pleased with the the grand picture uh even though uh, the slices uh some of them were a little dissatisfying on their own. Well, now that I've exercised diplomacy for 30 minutes, I'll say that I really didn't like this episode. Um, and and it's it's true of my greater and or experience. Exceptions, of course, One Way Out was like genuinely really good. Um, mm. But what disappoints me and the reason I continue to come back to this on the podcast is that I do the homework. I try so hard to connect with Star Wars in its different iterations. And it's okay that like things don't always connect with you. Some stuff isn't made for some people. Um, but to me, it was too self-important. It was, and I'm talking about this episode in particular, um, it, was, it was boring and there was like seven explosions in it and I was still bored. And I found the giant Marva uh, hologram to be corny and I found the lack of Cassian in the Andor show overall to be ridiculous. And I found like just some of like the plot mechanics to not be clear enough. And it's like, I get that it's a political show, but it, it just, it, it, to me, it was humorless and punishing. And um, I, I, I'm so relieved that it's over. <laughs> I'm so glad the show's over. feel a little lonely in that opinion, but it's just the truth. Yeah, no, that that sucks that uh, that you disliked it kind of to that extent uh, as a as a, a, a as a grand picture. I, I didn't. Uh, I, I was very pleased with the direction it went. I wasn't thrilled with the the, the kind of beginning, as 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 I mentioned before. Uh, but it overall, uh, I thought, got quite a bit better for me. And I am excited for season two. I'm way more excited for Mando and for any other star wars project that we haven't seen hmm. than i am for necessarily season two of andor uh, i don't necessarily view it as this I, I i i understand why a lot of people like it um but at the same time it's it, it's not the masterpiece in my view the way some people are are, are seeing it and it's something that I hope Star Wars learns a few things on how to write dialogue from this show. Mm. Um, yeah, and definitely Gilroy is a, he's good with a pen. Like, definitely the language is nice. Yeah, like, use this dialogue. Like, use high-quality writing and um, make sure you have a very experienced director. Know when to use the volume and when not to use the volume. And... I think you can have this kind of reaction from a show that is better and is more enjoyable. You look at like Obi-Wan, for example, there's a couple points where the acting is a little off. There's a couple points where the dialogue is poor and there's a couple points where the directing is atrocious in yeah. that show. I uh, love Deborah Chow, but it's really bad in a couple spots. Uh, just like, why didn't you reshoot that? Or why didn't you not use the volume? Because it's so clearly you're on a soundstage and mm. not in a desert. Um, whereas that's never come into question with Andor. And so I think that immersion helped a lot of people sure. and made them feel like, oh, this is so 
real and and lived in in the way that Star Wars in the 70s felt new in the way that, oh, this is a new way you're showing me this already pre-lived in world. And it's almost kind of that that new approach in a modern day, but it doesn't have the charm. And that's something that I think really disappoints me is i love how charming star wars is well yeah and like i'm th- i'm thrilled for people who enjoyed andor what i'm resistant to is a narrative then forming that it's a breath of fresh air after all of this other annoying star wars that um wouldn't give me what i wanted that it's mm-hmm. like finally there's star wars for grown-ups where's that been well like it was never meant to be for grown-ups and so like if you got one that's great, but like, stop acting so put out by everything that's not the thing you like. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And so, like, I just kind of feel othered by some of the Star Wars community, and not for the first or for the last time. I guess I'm just kind of annoyed by the ongoing Andor um, rhetoric and the Andor experience itself. I've never um, wished a, a Star Wars thing would be over uh, until now, mm. and so that's like kind of a fresh thing. Yeah, no, that, that that's disappointing. But at the same time, I, I agree that this is not a, a, brush, the, a breath of fresh air the way some people are describing. Like, I loved Obi-Wan Kenobi. I thought that was great. It yeah. had some some drawbacks. It's no Mandalorian. But at the same time, Andor, to me, is no goddamn Mandalorian no. at all in any of the ways. Even the fact that, yes, the dialogue maybe isn't as strong in Mando as it is in Andor. Andor has the best dialogue some people say since Empire, I'm probably going to agree with them. It's probably the best dialogue. Yeah, but what is the Empire. best dialogue? Like, who ca- exactly? What does that exactly. mean? Exactly. It just means that it's the most uh, realistic and uh, articulate and maybe not dumbed down. It's a higher reading level. It's more dramaturgical. Uh, it's it's more yeah. It's it's more more adult, I guess. But a higher reading level. That's funny. Um, and. I, and- and, and I'm not against that. Well, I mean, the same way you have like like a president speak at a grade six level or a grade eight level uh, so that it can appeal to the masses. Yeah. Star Wars does too. And I think that's kind of a good thing because it is. it's supposed to be. It's a fairy tale, which are generally like, you know, three-year-old understanding. Right. Once levels. upon like, a time, the, the end. Yes. Exactly. A long time ago. And, and so... It, it it lacks a lot of those things, and I think that's where Mando uh, succeeds so perfectly. Mm-hmm. And Obi Wan, I think, succeeded in a really good way. And I think Book of Boba Fett is a mess, but has a lot of really great moments. And of course, has two awesome episodes, but those are Mando episodes. Uh, and uh, I love everything that they've done from a, an animation perspective. Uh, Bad Batch is not as good as Rebels or Clone Wars, but it's not bad. It's pretty decent. And uh, I, I didn't hate the sequels as much as I didn't hate the sequels, but um, I hate a couple parts of Rise of Skywalker, sure, yeah, yeah. and maybe a couple parts of Last Jedi. Um, but, but I can also I can understand a lot of the criticism of the sequels. I, I can't understand people saying that now that like like by just slamming all other Star Wars to put Andor up that right. just doesn't make any sense because then it goes to see okay so. Did you like Star Wars at all? Maybe you're not a Star Wars fan. Yes. And it's okay if you're just being nostalgic. And that's why you consider yourself to be a Star Wars fan. Because you used to be a fan. And now you like it because it's nostalgia for you. And you can't stomach anything else that doesn't give you nostalgia. And ultimately, the new Star Wars is something you don't like. And you see it as being anti-Star Wars. But don't shit on everybody else's parade and allow people to become nostalgic for all of the new things that they want to become nostalgic over and allow people to to like what they want to like. And if you love Andor, great. And it's one of those, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. I mean, you can be you can be critical, but you don't need to be like bitter and evil the way some people are just like really like ripping other pieces of just properties like, to shreds. Sometimes Star Wars fans can like get into a real pissing match about like, look how intellectual I am to be too advanced for the sequel trilogy. Or finally, I have something on my level. And it's just like very grown worthy. But here I'm the one complaining about Star Wars. And so maybe I'm maybe maybe I'm the hypocrite. And I also don't like ending another like season of this show being like, man, this was not for me. It just it 
I got to be honest about it, and it wasn't. Overall, really weird calendar year for Star Wars because we kicked it off with Book of Boba Fett, which actually feels like a million years ago. Um, it does. And uh, it was not the best, though it has its merits. Uh, Andor obviously has lots of merits as well. And, you know, we had Studio Ghibli and we had like other animated stuff in there too. So it's just a weird Star Wars year. Yeah, and next year is going to be a packed one. I mean, we yeah. can kind of, uh, I don't know if there's really anything else to talk about that episode. No, that's it. Let's, let's talk about the news. Uh, yeah, and there's a lot of Star Wars projects underway. Uh, we've got the next one is Bad Batch is kicking off the year in January, I believe. I think Mando is scheduled for February. Um, Ahsoka is finished production, so it will likely be out next year, probably in the in a fall time slot, maybe this and or time slot. Uh, in the summer, I'm I'm not sure what project we'll get. Um, well, I don't know if there's anything that could be in the summer. Summer might be a little bit of a Star Wars void. Uh, yeah, it the should Acolyte be. Anyway. Won't be ready sense. then. I don't think they'll do a season two of Book of Boba Fett if they haven't announced it yet. Although there was a pretty strong rumor a little while back, Skeleton Crew might be ready by then. It could be ready by the summer. Um, I don't. I think the summer's a blackout period. I don't think they're going to put out new Star Wars in the summer. I don't, well, um, maybe, no, but I, I, sorry, I shouldn't say necessarily summer. I should say the May time slot. Yeah, okay. Um, and that would extend to, like, the Obi-Wan Kenobi time slot. Gotcha. Uh, and, and maybe Skeleton Crew could be ready by then. That would be cool. That's a show that we've heard so little about, but appears to be far, uh, like, along in development. Great. So that could be interesting. Uh, but also, there's been lots of kind of rumors and news around the movie's schedule is being put together pretty well behind the scenes uh, and that pieces are falling into place that they'll get to a point where by I think I think 2024 is what it's rumored that it, they're going to be able to have movies coming out like every year by that point wow. for like five years uh, and that they've got uh, four or five movies that are under like strong development uh, and that that was is a new big push is to get back into the movie game after establishing a strong TV base. But with all that said, this also happens. Uh, this becomes a big rumor right at the time when we switch our bobs again. Amazing. And Wild uh, Iger replaces Chapek after Chapek replaced Iger. Is this, is this and, good for Star Wars? Like he's he's more of a creative driven boss, right? Yeah, it's just good for Disney and everything because yeah. Chabik is is a is a not liked by really anyone, especially creatives. And uh, he there's one division I can't remember uh, that he he really is like focuses hard on uh, and is considered uh, successful at. It might be like merch or something. Um, but like he he's worked in the parks and they hated him and like all the creatives from like films hate him. And there was and there's rumors that uh a lot of the studio heads got together with board members. Uh, mm -hmm. and that's the reason why Chapek got out like Feige and like the head of Pixar and the head of um I don't know some other like Disney studios a or something. A boat of like. confidence. Yeah, basically saying like this guy is a mess. Mm -hmm. And so Iger's coming back. That's just a rumor on that. But JPEG was fired over the weekend and Iger's coming back for two years with his goal of writing the ship and training a replacement. Mm -hmm. So that will be really interesting. And while Iger and Kathleen Kennedy have a good relationship, there's now heavy rumor that Kathleen Kennedy will be let go or is going to be transitioned out of her role uh, at the end of next year. Um, given Indy 5 as a final swan song as a kind of a, a, a thank you, but we're going to we're going to not let you finish out the end of your contract, but we will let you do the project that you clearly care about the most. And we also don't want to piss off Harrison, who I think is has a good relationship with Kathleen Kennedy. Uh, and it's just it, it's the probably the right thing to do in that regard. And if everything else is true, that she's also writing the ship on the films. Maybe they'll give themselves a little bit of time to reevaluate that decision, or at least it'll allow her to go out on top. So a lot of balls up in the air there. Yeah. I mean, I know she's divisive among like nerdy people on the internet, but like what would be the problem with Kathleen Kennedy, who's been a moneymaker for Disney and knows how the organization is run? She, they just want a changing she of the guard because she's old school. Yes, um, I, maybe because she's old school. I think they want someone who is a bit more of a creative, uh, maybe do what 
DC just did and kind of do a one-two punch with with a duo and Kathleen Kennedy is is a honcho you're not going to put her into a duo this and so you would want to get like a like a Favreau and Filoni sort of thing or whatever kind of combo uh Michelle Rejwan who was one of Kathleen's right hands just stepped away from her role so that does lend a little bit of credit to it and nobody's really brought that part up but that actually in my opinion lends a lot of credit to it the fact that her main team is being disassembled yeah uh, whether or not Michelle Rejwan left because she was tired of Star Wars more likely because I think her main involvement was around film. And this is where Kathleen Kennedy has failed miserably is the fact that she has engaged a lot of projects. Information has gotten out about a lot of those projects and a lot of those projects have gone nowhere. Mm. So there might've been a fair amount of money lost behind the scenes on projects that were worked on for a few months or got a fair bit into development before they got canned deals that maybe were signed and then were had to be bought out before even development got underway yeah and I hadn't thought of that before that's know, a good point we know about a whole lot of shit so imagine what we don't know about yeah. and so all the projects that then didn't materialize that looks bad and just it's generated a very real and not just internet troll based um distrust in the star wars brand mm. and it is to a point now where from a business perspective kathleen kennedy is hurting the brand of star wars because people don't even believe if a star wars project is going to happen anymore that was back when george lucas didn't even know if he had enough money to do projects uh, the rumor, and someone put it this way, and I think this was a, a really brilliant way of putting it. Um, it was actually it, John Campia, who's, who's a, a, a media pundit and does a lot of breaking stories and actually broke a lot of this news. And he, but he's a, he's a Nova Scotian guy. Uh, and so he's, oh, he's cool. really taken off uh, a lot lately and he, his YouTube channel is growing, but he breaks a ton of stories and he, he broke a lot of this stuff as well. And so I, th I think he kind of mentioned some of this, um, but the way uh this kind of release schedule is going it just it makes a lot of sense to to transition things out she can save face disney can save face uh and then they can just start anew and, and kind of just build that rep back but he put it in a really cool way of saying that um will disney now buy netflix um whereas the narrative under chapek was will disney be bought by apple disney oh God, is yeah. bait yeah under chapek disney is the predator under Iger. honestly that's a really great way to put it like it what a summation of your your I, I i hate to call him a beta but like about like your your problems as a leader when you can make disney the most powerful mm -hmm. entertainment organization like of all time essentially seem like like it's just a pawn in someone else's game that should not mm -hmm. be the case and that's a really a good way of framing it yeah and so that that really made it kind of cement like oh that is from a business perspective and the way that can be painted to the board that makes that decision a pretty easy one it's a matter of like no i think there's going to be a lot of changing of the guard and the way like alan horn uh left and there's another guy who is head of it might have might have been the head of Disney. There's a couple other like like student big studio heads who've been around even longer than Chapek, who was around for a long time, mm -hmm. who left because they hated Chapek so much. And just like a lot of bridges were burned. So they're either gonna bring people back or start anew. And so Disney's gonna be in a high shuffle place, and that will have a lot of impacts on Star Wars, probably not on what's already um in development, but it could encourage a lot more things to come under development or at least materialize you gotta hope that disney doesn't buy netflix i don't think that's actually in the cards anyway but like that's there there is a a scenario where you just have too much monopoly over the industry and they're already there and for them to then get netflix as well that could be problematic and in terms of creativity it would just not be very good for overall entertainment yeah there actually could be like anti-monopoly laws around that but at the same time like they're not as big as as other entities and so it, it isn't it's an interesting one i agree it's not something we want there should the competition should allow for both of those to succeed so i hope it doesn't happen but it does make a good point that i'm sure disney's going to continue to start buying things because Iger, 
he bought a lot of stuff. It was just it was just evaded a very similar situation in the publishing industry. There's only five big publishers in the world, and Penguin tried to buy Simon and Schuster. Penguin's actually owned by Paramount, um, and there was a big lawsuit about it because basically, like, uh, and Stephen King was a real hero actually in the brigade against this. This is really bad for creators, for authors. Like, no one's ever going to make a buck off a book again if one company gets to publish all the books they'll just like be completely in charge and mm -hmm. um i don't f i don't need to like cut and cut disney any slack i can love star wars and also think that like big companies are evil and i kind of do um and so like for the for the same reason there really ought to be anti-monopoly laws um <laughs> just to keep those two like um piranhas away from each other for our sake yeah, no, and I, and I think I don't think that will happen, but I'm sure they will start to acquire a few more studios or uh, other uh, adjacent tools or or buy more companies. I I don't know if they own Respeecher, um, but if not, I'm mm -hmm. sure they'll buy them. That's the company yeah. that makes the Vader voice and uh, little things like that, and we'll start recruiting more digital people. Uh, the volume, like that was under Iger's tenure, the development of Disney Plus, although the execution was, was or the, 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 the growth was JPEG. So uh, I am excited what it means for uh, just overall Disney because Iger is a titan and it'll be interesting to watch. Any other specifically Star Wars news before we call it? Uh, no, nothing in particular. A lot of the, the news was really around uh, the Andor finale and everybody and just singing the praises of the season in general for the most part. Um, I'm, I'm just I'm excited to, to see what happens next. And uh, I think Andor is one that while I'm happier to evaluate season one as as a as a as a picture and uh, the, I think the picture looks pretty decent, um, it'll be interesting to see. It after season two uh, and whether that changes the view of season one, whether season one um, is totally separate or whether there's a lot more um, seeds that were planted that will materialize in season two than maybe even we realize. They started filming it this week and they're going to keep filming right until the summer. I guess it's a long shoot. Yeah, uh, Tony Gilroy said uh, he estimated two years, and so my wow. guess is at some point, whether it'll be the Kenobi slot or the Andor slot uh, in 2024. Uh, we want to hear all your thoughts on Andor, the season finale, and the show in general. Please email recorder66podcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can tweet us if you use Twitter. No judgment either way. Uh, at recorder66. Uh, and if you're... Uh, uh, podcasting with us. Be sure to like and subscribe. And if you're joining us on YouTube, like and subscribe us over there as well. We'll be back when we're back. Until we're together again, may the force be with you.